Father, I thank you for being able to call out to you and just have so many needs right now, Lord. We're never felt more vulnerable and like uncertain. How long is this going to continue? This look, this walk. Father, there are people today that like we feel pretty safe right now. They live in cities where they don't feel safe and they woke up this morning and they're scared because a lot of evil and new types of evil. We love these people. We love the citizens, our, our fellow citizens who are frightened. And we ask that the, the power of God, the spirit of God, the angels of God, and all those who serve in, for the sake of righteousness would, would be part of your answer to bring calm to the nation. And I pray, Lord, like this Alaska trip, everybody who knows Christ would go somewhere across the street, across the continent to say the name of Jesus so that a life and a heart could be transformed from angry to peaceful, from guilty to forgiven. Father, we cry out for our world. We've gathered here today for the primary purpose of saying thank you that you have settled our hearts. You are settling our hearts and we ask that you would settle the hearts of our enemies and make them to be friends and brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of God. Come, Lord, use the power of your Bible and singing and Christian spirit-filled love and boldness to win America to Christ to win the world to Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. For the next few weeks, I want us to look at a few core beliefs that we as Hope Point um, embrace. We want to develop those beliefs stronger and stronger on the website so that those who are calm and thinking about becoming members here would sort of have an idea of, of what we believe almost like you check out a city before you go on a vacation. Do I want to go to that city? We want to explain the primary things that we believe so that people will say, is this the place that God is calling me? Today, we want to look at the core belief of what we believe about the Bible. We believe the Bible is a perfectly inspired revelation of God's character and purposes and therefore serves as the ultimate foundation for all belief and behavior. And we start in the core belief series with a statement about the Bible because it is the one belief that will be most attacked in the world. As people say that God is not knowable, he's not reliable, not trustworthy, a Disbelief that God has ever spoken is the number one first reaction to God by the world. We look to the Bible because it explains the why of life. Why is there something other than nothing? The Bible tells us that in Acts 17, 26. God made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him. So God created the world that the world would respond in relationship to him. God, the creator, made the world so 
and, and express himself to the world so that we would know who to thank, who to serve, and how to honor this one who has made all. This is the purpose of life revealed in the scripture. And we believe this statement of the Bible and all statements of the Bible because the Bible says they were perfectly revealed to us in 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God breathed. That means that every word that's in the Bible is accurate and completely tells the story of God with no inaccuracies because it was brought to, into existence by the very life, the breath of of God. We know what God thinks and what God wants because he has accurately told us through the words of Scripture. 2,000 times in the Bible, we read this phrase that echoes this, the Lord said. So we have thousands of instances in the Bible where we are taught that God is the one who is speaking in this Bible. The remarkable aspect of the creation of the Bible is that God was creative enough and generous enough and wise enough to actually dictate his thoughts, to share his thoughts through the, the tongue, the abilities, the mind, and the pen of 40 men. The Bible says in 1 2 Peter 1, for prophecy never had its origin in human will. Nobody thought about doing this, though it is humans who did it. God spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So someone would ask me, might ask you, might ask us, do you find it difficult to believe that 40 different men over 1,500 years wrote statements about God? Do you think they could have gotten it wrong? Or do you believe that they got it all right? And do you find that easy to believe that 40 men writing over 1,500 years got it all right? It's very easy to believe that. Once you settle on the front end that there was at one time in this world nothing and God created a universe from his mouth, if God can do that, he can guide 40 men to accurately and clearly hear him. The Bible will perfectly lead a man to know how to live in this world. Our belief specifically in this is called the verbal plenary inspiration of Scripture, where we believe that what men wrote about God, the very words they chose, those words were guided by the breath of God in their minds, and that their words paint a complete picture of God. There's nothing you need to know about God that has not been revealed through their writings. Now, we also believe that then the, there's a, a study, a field of apologetics, that for people who are wired uh, to love logic and reasoning, there are resources that you can study that tend to strengthen your belief that the Bible is divinely inspired. And we fully recommend the reading of apologetic literature. It strengthens. But we always want you to know the only thing apologetics can do, you can imagine these two uh, rectangles here are, 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 are skyscrapers in a city and People talk about it takes faith, a leap of faith to get to know God, and it does. But apologetics actually bring the two buildings together so the leap of faith is not as great. It, it, it causes you to not have to jump so far. So apologetics, logic and reasoning about the divine inspiration of Scripture, we believe, 
is helpful, but we also want to let you know, in the end, there will be always a leap. There will always be a step of faith. Jesus is the one who told us this. The Bible is, when you take that leap of faith, say, God, I want to know truth. The Bible is, at that time, becomes self-authenticating to you. In other words, it's not the job of this church to prove that the Bible to you is the Word of God. We'll never do that. It's the job, it's your job to read it, and as you read it, it is God's job to prove that what you're reading is the mind of God. So the Bible is self-authenticating. It proves itself to you. God proves himself to you as you read it. Jesus said it would be this way. This is a the proof of the self-authenticating nature of the Bible. John 7, 17, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. So God proves himself as you humbly sit before a Bible and say, sincerely, I want to know what truth is. But this only happens when you read the Bible. It doesn't happen when you debate about the Bible, fuss about the Bible. The only way the Bible becomes self-authenticating is when you read it. Paul tells us that in Colossians chapter 3. You want peace in your life? Look, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. How does that happen? By letting the message of Christ dwell among you. You want peace? You will discover peace. God will tell you. God will give you peace. He promises peace, but you won't discover that peace until you read his Bible. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another through Psalms. It's interesting when the writer here says, you want peace? Spend time in the Psalms. Well, when Paul wrote this to the early church, they didn't have the whole Bible. It was being revealed. It was being written. It was being emanated from the mind of God to the pens of men. One book, one letter, one word at a time. But they did have the Psalms. So they said, you want to know peace? Read the Psalms. Now this happened to me yesterday, sitting on the front porch of my house, thinking about the chaos in this world. And I just talked to one of our police officers and just told him again, as I always do when I see him, thank you, thank you, thank you. What chaos these men and women live in in the world and so many who are fighting for justice in all forms in this world. What kind of chaos in the world? And so I was, I was just grieving as you are for the world right now. And I was reading the Psalms and I came to Psalm 93. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves, but your statutes, your laws, your Bible, God, stands firm. So in my mind, I'm reading that, Psalm 93 on the front porch, yesterday morning, my front yard, and I see mighty seas crashing against 200-foot-tall rock cliffs outside of northern England. Year after year, century after century, those waves crash against that rock, and that rock never moves. 
and the sea retreats and the sea loses and the rock wins. So I read this and I just was comforted. We live in a culture that is anti-authority. If you don't know, what's going on in our culture? Why is our culture behaving as it is? It's simply, a, it's been an unleashing of anti-authority spirit. Doesn't matter where the authorities come from. If it's authority, it's hated. That's what's happening in the country. It comes and goes in every generation, but in this generation, it is unleashed. Anti-authority. I hate authority. That's what's happening in the world. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, in different times of culture, there would arise a generation of God-haters. That's what's happening in the culture. God-haters, they hate authority. And they're crashing against the authority of God and the authorities that he sent. Crash, crash, crash. And this verse just reminds me that in the end, all those who oppose God will one day retreat and God himself will be standing unmoved and our only hope. The last reason that we look to the Bible is because it fills us with the power of God for the living of his, the carrying out of his will. Second Peter 1, 3, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, the promises, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. The most frustrating place to be in life is to feel hopeless, to feel like you have no choices, to say you have no options, to say I am a victim of outward circumstances, people, things. I am a victim of inward circumstances such as urges and addictions. If you ever believe that no, you have no choice in life, you have no hope in life, no options, that's a hopeless existence. And this verse tells us that no matter what situation you are facing, God will supply you with power, enabling you to fulfill his will and to enjoy the life he has called for you. Everything we need to know God and to serve him, he says, I will give you. You're not a victim of anything through the power of God, you have enough. God is offering, however, far more than many of us want to receive. Everything you need, God offers. Every empty cup you bring to him, he fills. You bring an empty cup of loneliness and he will fill it with himself. Best friendship you've ever had. You bring to him an empty cup of anxiety and he will fill it with the best peace you've ever had. You bring to him a cup of guilt and he will fill it with himself, the best forgiveness you've ever had. Everything you need for knowing God and doing his will, he will give to you. 
your mind and your body will constantly argue with you that I can't overcome this sorrow or this trial or this temptation. But God says, I'm going to give you my power so that everything I call you to do will be enabled. You'll be enabled to do it by my power. This is, look at the, what the verse is saying. The reason that you can live out the purposes of God, life and godliness, is every person who commits them to that, God grants them his power to live out his purposes. But notice how this power comes into your life. It comes through knowing God. You don't just get this power because you want it. You want to live out the purposes of God? Then you need the power of God. How does the power of God come to you? By knowing. It's again the, the vital place of Scripture in your life. You need power to do the purposes of God. That power comes through the knowledge of God. Specifically here, Peter says, the knowledge of the God who called you. That's your goal in life, to get to know the God who called you. I remember when I was nine years old, I was in, maybe been younger, that I was in Atlanta with my mom and dad and my brother Rob. And uh, one of the few times that, you know, my dad said, we're splurging and we're staying in a very nice hotel. And it was probably like 15 or 16 you know, it looked to me like a giant skyscraper, but probably like 15 floors. And the doors opened, uh, and I jumped in. I was so excited there in the lobby. And my brother was bickering, as he always did. My mom and dad were trying to console, persuade, whatever. Doors shut. I'm somewhere in a hotel of 15 floors by myself. Up and down that elevator, I went, and those doors would open, and I'm looking for my family. Over and over again, and one time those doors opened, and I didn't see anybody, but I heard this voice, Richard, and it was my father who was on that floor. I was lost, and my father called me. This is how you live out the purposes of God that he has destined for you. God gives you his power to live out the purposes as you use the scripture to increasingly get to know the God who called you when you were lost. That's the purpose of Bible reading, getting to know the God who called you when you were lost. Now, when the Bible talks about getting to know God the knowledge of God. It's not talking about historical information necessarily, scientific information necessarily. Those, those are in the Bible. It's talking about relational knowledge. In other words, God says, I don't want you to go after religious information. I want you to go after relational information. That's the kind of knowledge. God gives us biblical knowledge so that his voice becomes clear. And more beautiful to you. So here's the question you need to ask. How do I know if I have, if I am pursuing informational knowledge or relational knowledge? How do I know that? Which am I going after? Well, I think Peter tells us with two key words. God has called us by his own glory 
and goodness. This is how I think you can know if you're reading the Bible for the sake of information, which causes you to not know God, or, this, or for the purpose of relationship, which causes you to know God. I think these two realities will be occurring in your mind and your heart if you're reading for relational knowledge. When the Bible talks about the glory of God, it's talking about his weight, his importance, his value, like everything comes from him, is sustained by him. We are nothing without him. We are fully dependent on him. All of that would be about the glory of God, his weight, his importance, his beauty, his all-surpassing value. So when you're reading the Bible and it causes you to increase your understanding of God's value, his supremacy, his kingship, you're reading the Bible for relational knowledge because you're seeing his glory. But you also need to read the Bible to see his goodness. Goodness might be defined of his kindness. The fact that he wants you to know joy. He's generous. He shares himself with you. He floods your life with expressions of his goodness so that you will experience pleasure that leads to worship. So if you're reading the Bible and you see God's glory and you love him for that and you see God's goodness and you love him for that, you are experiencing relational knowledge. Now, the reason it's important to be pursuing the Bible, pursuing relational knowledge, this is the only kind of knowledge that can defeat sin. It's what Paul tells us here in verse, Peter tells us in verse 4. Through these, and I think when he says these, he's pointing back to God's glory and goodness. Because God is glorious, he knows how important he is. So he's going to share information because he knows it's important that you know about him. So because God is glorious, you can count on him to share. Because God is good, you can count on him to share. Because of God's glory and goodness, he has given us more knowledge. So you come to know God by knowledge. And then because he's, he wants you to know more of his glorious glory and more of his goodness, he gives you more knowledge. And then this knowledge, he, this kind of knowledge here, are referred to as great and precious promises. So it's just one effect after another. You want to fulfill your life, purpose for your life? You got to have power. You want power? That's God's power. It's the power that fills him, flows out of him. Creation power, resurrection power, you want that power? It's yours, but it comes through the knowledge of God who called you. As you gain knowledge of God who called you, you will see his glory. You will see his goodness. And because God is glorious and because he's good, he'll give you more knowledge. Here, this knowledge is called great and precious promises. Why does Peter take the time to, why don't he just say promises? Because I think you need two types of promises to make it in the world. Sometimes you need a great promise. Sometimes you need a precious promise. If you're in a war and you're going through the forest and people are shooting at you, you want to be in a tank. You want to be in something strong. You just plow over those trees and through those ditches and through those enemies. And you want to be in a tank and you need, you need greatness around you. 
but you don't always need. So maybe a great promise would be this. Psalm 46, like we need this right now, a great promise. Nations are in an uproar. Kingdoms fall, God lifts his voice, and the earth goes away. And eternity begins for us with him. That's a tank. I need to be in a tank. But every so often, I don't want to ride in a tank. I just want to ride in a car with my wife like I did yesterday to a wedding, to traveler's rest, up the foothills of the, toward the, the mountains, seeing beauty. I didn't want to go there in a tank. I wanted to go in a car with many windows so that I could, with her, see beauty. I wanted it to be a precious time. I didn't want to be in a tank. I need to be in a car. So sometimes God gives you tank promises like that, and then sometimes he gives you precious promises that remind you how personal he is. Like this. This would be a precious promise. Hebrews 13, 5. Richard, I'm in that car with you today going to traveler's rest. You, Lisa, me. The couple that I married yesterday did one of those three-chord ceremonies where husband and wife are one rope, God is another, and they tied it all together in front of us in the form of a cross. That's precious. God's in the car with them. You need mighty promises, and you need precious promises. And the result of all of this knowledge while we read the scripture is for the defeating of sin. Through these, he's given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So you live in a world that is constantly yelling at you, persuading you that you have to give in to the sin. It's not worth it. Better to live for yourself, live for God. These are the voices that, call, that tell you quit. And it is God's great and precious promises that will cause you to defeat those inclinations of your body. So how do you live a godly life when you have all sorts of voices? When Satan promises you this is not worth it, you got to find a better promise than the one he's making to you. you got to find great and precious promises. And the cool thing about all of this is every time you read Scripture, with all of its glorious promises, its great promises, and its precious promises, You'll become closer and closer to God, seeing more and more of his beauty, saying yes and yes to him. And by the time you get to the end of your life, by the time you get to the end, you will have done the will of God that he carved out for you, assigned for you when you were just a little baby or before you were born. And he'll do this again by the power of his Spirit. I love how Peter says this. He's going to give you these great and precious promises so through them you may participate in the divine nature. What does that mean? I don't know all that that means. I think there's something ahead of us in heaven 
that we're really going to discover what that means? This is what I know about it now. 50 days after Jesus was crucified and ascended to heaven, he released his spirit, his very Holy Spirit, no longer with us bodily, but his spirit was released on earth and filled the bodies of all those who placed their faith in him. And at that moment, simple human people, eternal deity was intertwined with our humanity which will never stop being that way, but like I said, only increases in enjoyment in heaven in a way that we've not yet even begun to imagine. That's how we escape the corrupting influence of the world through the intertwining of God's spirit into our body. I want to read to you a very long sentence. It probably is full of not right grammar because it's so long, but I just... Kept writing. When God's Spirit comes into our bodies, connecting us with His divine nature, His very life begins to flow all through our life, helping us to treasure Him as King, to enjoy Him as Father, to be continually liberated from those things that are dishonorable and dangerous and empowering us to serve him because he served us and to sacrifice and suffer for the growth of his kingdom because he suffered and sacrificed that we might be included in his kingdom. The Holy Spirit does all of that when the eternal presence of God, his power intertwines with our human nature, we will be able to know and do the will of God. So our goal in life, it's to know God, do his will. That's accomplished when he fills our life with his power. The pathway to his power is the scripture of his great and mighty promises. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Bible. Thank you that we get to read it, get to sing it. We thank you now for how through the gift of music it's about to pour over our lives Scripture, truth. And Lord, our hearts are about to be energized as they are already to love you as king, to trust you as father, to know that you're glorious and most important. <laughs> and our very next breath is dependent on your breath and to know that you're good, you're kind, you're giving, you desire pleasure that leads to pure joy and worship. So come, God, into all of our lives with increasing knowledge, increasingly great promises, we'll believe them, increasingly precious promises that we'll apply them so that we'll be liberated from the dark, dangerous sins that we've even given ourselves to this week. Lord, we confess that we often believe the wrong promises. We confess our sin, our rebellion, our doubt. We confess that we have been snared by the power of the world, by the power of the flesh, and we want to be liberated. So would you use your word, your spirit, your nature with our nature right now, to liberate us 
from all that which is false and hopeless and turn our minds that we would see the preciousness of Jesus Christ, our Savior, your Son. Thank you for calling us. Would you call somebody now to yourself? In Christ's name, amen.